0: To Who, Short Trips, Washington Burns by Julian Richards. Read by Sophie Aldred. Ace hadn't meant to shoot the horse, although it had the desired effect. She quietly cursed herself as she pulled the rifle away from the window and ran back through the townhouse, the small group of militiamen that she'd gathered following her. The shot should have gone wide, but one of the militiamen had jostled her, the rifle had slipped, and Ace had shot the horse. She didn't have time to mourn it now, though. She needed to get everyone out of the house before the British burned it down, and she had to make sure the books burned with it. Outside the house, Major General Robert Ross dragged himself from under the body of his fallen horse. He knelt down beside the body of his old friend, then looked at the flag of truce in his hand. Ross turned back to the rest of the men in his party. He could see that Coburn was smirking, the admiral clearly knowing what Ross was about to order. No more truce. Next to him, the gentleman from the chateau seemed to be thinking hard. But then he always seemed to be thinking hard. Ross turned to the small group of sailors that Coburn had brought up with them and calmly ordered them to burn the townhouse to the ground. Rear Admiral George Coburn turned to the gentleman from the chateau. It seems you were right, Doctor. There'll be fires burning tonight. Silently, the doctor nodded. Weeks before this, and yet thousands of years later, Ace ran through the ruins of Washington. Around her, people were staring at signs and screens and notices, and they were screaming. Over and over, clutching at their heads, they screamed. Ace kept running. The pulse from the last explosion had fried the doctor's gizmo, and if she stopped running, she might read something, and if she read something, it might be Cerebra. Ahead of her, the Capitol building was smoking. The last explosions had taken a large chunk out of its side, and the buildings around it were little more than rubble and ruins. Ace finally drew to a halt, gasping for breath, eyes fixed firmly on the ground between her feet where there was nothing to read. Then she felt a hand on her shoulder. She whirled around to find the doctor stood behind her. Her initial relief was replaced with a sudden awful realisation. "'Professor, be careful!' she shouted. "'Don't read anything! Your gizmo got fried! Cerebra's still!' The doctor cut her off by raising a finger to his lips and holding up a small black box, which looked suspiciously like the small black box he'd given her the previous day. "'It's all right, Ace,' he said, his voice no louder than usual. Ace wondered how she could hear him over the screams. Then she realised that the screaming had stopped.' The ruins of Washington were filled with silence now, save for the sound of footsteps. Looking around, Ace saw black-clad soldiers moving through the streets, the visors of their helmets down to keep them from reading. As the soldiers reached the now-unconscious people of Washington, they stopped to tend to them. "'Colonel Drake and her men can handle things here,' called the Doctor, already making his way towards the smoking ruin of the capital. "'Come on, Ace!' Ace hurried after him, glancing as she did at a sign lying in the rubble. It said, Folger Shakespeare Library. That was all. Confident that it was safe to read again, she joined him, and the two of them approached the Capitol building. As they drew closer, Ace realised that the Capitol building hadn't been damaged as much as she thought, at least not by the explosions. Large sections of it had been torn out and replaced with monolithic technological constructs, huge cables crawling up the sides of the building to connect them all. Half of the dome of the roof had been taken out and replaced with an array of pointed spires that crackled with purple and red lightning. All very spooky, Ace thought to herself. The doctor had stopped to look up at the technological parasite infesting the building. Oh, dear he muttered, seemingly to himself. We seem to have got here just in time. What is it, Professor? Ace asked. She could tell that the machine was bad news just by looking at it. Some kind of weapon? Yes and no, the doctor replied. Ace could hear the worry in his voice. It's a very crude and rather unstable time machine. Then his voice suddenly lightened. But it doesn't seem to have enough power to do anything, so... I don't think we have to worry too much about it now. And he was striding off towards the capital again. Ace hurried after him. What does it want with a time machine, Professor? she asked. You've seen the damage caused by Cerebra here and now, Ace. In this one city in the 22nd century, Cerebra had control of 700,000 people. 700,000 puppets enslaved to its will, imagine knowing that you could build a machine that would allow you to spread that influence throughout human history. Every human being that has ever lived, that will ever live, enslaved by Cerebra, hundreds of billions of empty shells of people, utterly consumed by a mental virus. The few who escaped, too scared to open their eyes for fear of what they might read. I'm sure in time even that would dissatisfy it. But it's enough to keep any despot happy for a while. The rotunda of the Capitol building was filled with what Ace assumed was the heart of the machine, as well as the heart of Cerebra's war effort. Various terminals jutted out of it, over which were slumped the unconscious bodies of men and women in technicians' overalls. The base of the machine was a great steel gateway, leading to the far side of the rotunda. Before the gateway sat the arc of a reinforced steel table. Generals and advisers slumped across it. Then a figure at the centre of the table turned, and Ace found herself staring at the hooded face of Cerebra Commander himself. "'Hello, Cerebra!' said the Doctor, quite jovially, as he pulled up the only empty chair at the table and sat down opposite the hooded figure." Ace perched herself on the table, gently moving an unconscious admiral out of the way to do so. Cerebro commander tilted his head, staring intently at the doctor. When he spoke, the words seemed forced, difficult, as though he were having to remember how to speak. Doctor, he hissed, so good to see you again. Well, quite. "'said the Doctor, except, of course, Cerebra Commander and I have never met.' "'You speak of Cerebra Commander as if he were a man, Doctor. "'I rather thought we were beyond such pretensions by now. "'I've met you through many minds.' (laughs) "'Cerebra Commander chuckled softly. "'Then the chuckle became a rasping, hacking cough.' "'You're losing control, aren't you?' said the Doctor. "'You've been purged from everyone else's minds, from all the texts, "'and here you are, trapped and alone, "'too weak to take control of anyone, "'even if you weren't being blocked by my transmissions.' "'You mean he's stuck in his own body for good now, Professor?' Ace asked. "'Well, he would be,' said the Doctor, "'if he had a body of his own. "'But you don't, do you, Cerebra?' And so saying, he reached forward and pulled off the hood covering Cerebra Commander's face. The face beneath was withered. Not old, just run down, as if all the life had been drained from it. Its eyes were milky white, devoid of iris and pupil, almost seeming to glow in the darkness of the rotunda. The doctor nodded and leant back. You never did, Cerebra was never a person. Ace realised that since Cerebra and the Doctor both knew what was going on, this was purely for her benefit. Or possibly it was just because the Doctor liked to hear himself explain things. It was just a grubby little mind parasite, created as a weapon, designed to hide in writing and then leap into the human mind and take control. The weaponization of the written word. It's an elegant concept, you must admit hissed Cerebra, blood starting to trickle from its nose. "'It's an abomination!' retorted the Doctor. "'A perversion of the very concept of reading! "'To turn a process designed for the betterment of the mind "'into the instrument of its destruction!' As the Doctor spoke, Ace noticed that the lightning she'd seen from outside was beginning to creep its way down the spires towards the centre of the machine. "'Professor!' She tried to attract his attention, but there was no stopping the Doctor. But you can't destroy any more, can you? You've torn this planet apart with your soulless war of conquest, and now you're just a pitiful little parasite in a dying body. You can't control anyone else. You can barely control your core host. What can you do now? Cerebra just smiled back at the Doctor, blood streaming from its nose. I can hide! (laughs) It hissed, laughing as the red lightning reached the gateway. Suddenly the gateway was crackling with life, red and purple lightning coursing across it as a swirling vortex of darkness opened at its heart. Cerebra Commander threw back its head and a white mist burst from its eyes, nose and mouth. The mist gathered itself and streamed through the gateway. The doctor shouted and lunged forward, but it was already too late. The man who had been Cerebra Commander collapsed, unconscious. His face was young again, his eyes clear and blue. The Doctor raced over to the largest of the machine's terminals, frantically scrolling through the information on the screen. "'What did it do?' Ace asked as she hurried over to him. "'It managed to open a time corridor,' said the Doctor, still searching through the screen. "'I underestimated the machine's power reserves!' "'So what? It goes back in time, takes over someone and starts all over again?' Ace really hoped the answer was no. "'No, it's not strong enough for that,' said the Doctor, and Ace relaxed slightly. "'It goes back in time, hides in a book, spreads into the minds of anyone who reads it, and transfers copies of itself into any books they read or any other writing it thinks will survive.' Then it waits until it's strong enough to take someone over and start all over again. Ace stopped relaxing. Then she walked over to the portal. Ace, what are you doing? the doctor asked without turning his head to look at her. I'm going to go after it and burn whatever book it's hiding in, said Ace. That should stop it, right? But by the time you find it, it will already have started disseminating itself. And there might not be books. It might be digitised, it might be stone tablets. The doctor trailed off, staring at the screen. Or it might have gone back to the only other time in this city's history that an invading army has conquered it. Ace read the date on the screen. July 24th, 1814. You'd better take this, the doctor said, pulling the black cube out of his pocket and handing it to her. And so the plan had been formed. Ace would go down the time corridor to July 1814. She'd find whatever book Cerebra had first found, track any readers to see where else it had spread to, and try to contain it. The Doctor would take the TARDIS and join up with the approaching British army, ensuring that by the time the British reached Washington a month later, he'd have enough influence to ensure the fires would start wherever she needed them to be. Back in Ace's future, she watched as the last of the militia clambered through the window at the back of the house and disappeared towards the city. The house was empty now, except for Ace and the book. The book she'd finally tracked down. The one that had started it all. It sat on the table at the centre of the room. Ace grabbed some papers from the desk in the corner and spread them over it, hoping to turn it from a lone book on a table into a pile of things which would easily burn. Then she clambered out of the window after the militia. Moments later, five British sailors reached the back room. Moments after that, the house was in flames. As the copy of Robinson Crusoe burned, Anyone who'd been there would have thought they could hear something screaming. But there was no one there but Cerebra. Outside, the doctor sat on his horse, watching the building burn. Next to him, Rear Admiral Coburn was quite enjoying the sight. The doctor was going to have to keep careful watch on Coburn. The man seemed keen to burn far more of Washington than the doctor hoped would be necessary. His enthusiasm had helped in ensuring Ross kept going until Washington, but now the doctor feared he might prove overzealous. Ross was also watching the building burn, but with far less enjoyment than Coburn. The doctor rather liked the Major General. He was honest, fair, brave, and not as enthusiastic about burning the city to the ground. But with his horse dead and the house burning in front of him, there was something different in his demeanour, something in his eyes that worried the doctor. But then it was gone. Ross was himself again. "'There you are, Professor!' The doctor looked down to see Ace standing next to his horse, smiling up at him. She was wearing a white shirt, brown trousers and a brown waistcoat, looking rather like a cowboy. The doctor smiled. "'Hello, Ace. Where did you get those clothes?' "'Borrowed them from one of the empty houses.' Loads of people just upped and left when they heard the British were coming. The doctor dismounted. Weren't you a little conspicuous, dressed as a boy? Not really. Everyone's distracted enough by your lot. And there's no way I'm wearing one of the dresses they have these days. I'd barely be able to move in it, let alone snoop. And has your snooping brought up anything of use? The doctor asked, conscious of the fact that Coburn and Ross would soon notice Ace, and at least one of them would come over to interrupt. "'Well, the good news is that the core text went up in that house,' Ace said, "'pointing to the crackling inferno behind them. "'Shame, though. Nice copy of Robinson Crusoe.' "'And the bad news?' asked the Doctor, "'bracing himself for word of how far Cerebra had spread. "'The book belonged to one of the President's henchmen,' said Ace. "'He reads a lot of stuff. "'I've destroyed what I could and got most of the rest into that house back there. "'But there are a few places I couldn't get into.' "'Where?' asked the Doctor.' The White House, the Library of Congress in the Capitol building, and one of the guys that read it was a typesetter at the newspaper, the intelligencer, so I got the first copy of the paper next day, but I don't know whether the typeface for the press itself might be a carrier. The doctor groaned. History said the White House and the Library of Congress would burn, but Cerebro is adaptable, and if it were allowed to recuperate inside a printing press... Then it could duplicate itself a thousandfold, spreading across America, waiting to seize control of what would one day be the most powerful nation on Earth. And the iron of the press wouldn't burn. They'd cross that bridge when they came to it, though. Right now, the Capitol building was looming in their future, as was Rear Admiral Coburn as he approached Ace and the Doctor. Ace looked at the man who joined them. He wasn't tall or imposing, but there was something about him, an air of authority, of a man used to getting his own way. She had a sudden urge to take him down a peg or two, but the doctor was speaking. Ace, this is Rear Admiral Coburn. Rear Admiral, this is my agent in Washington, Ace. Coburn. Ace recognised the name. She'd heard it a lot in Washington, mostly accompanied by an aura of terror. "'So you're Cockburn,' she said, grinning, "'pronouncing the hard K like the Americans did, "'in the hope it would annoy the Admiral. "'She figured the worst that could happen "'was that he'd laugh and say he liked a girl with spirit. "'He didn't. "'Instead he chuckled. "'It wasn't a reassuring chuckle. "'I'm going to have to make sure Jonathan can pronounce my name "'before we're done here,' he said. "'Then he took Ace's hand,' looked as though he was considering kissing it, instead shook it firmly and said, "'It was a pleasure to meet you, Ace,' before walking back to Major General Ross, who had been watching the conversation with interest. "'Jonathan?' Ace asked the Doctor. "'He means the Americans,' the Doctor explained. "'It's like Tommy or Fritz, and please don't call him Cockburn again. It's going to be difficult enough to keep him from burning the entire city without you antagonising him.' "'Who does he think you are anyway, Professor?' "'As far as he's concerned,' said the Doctor, "'I am an agent of his majesty, working undercover in Washington "'to uncover a threat to the security of the Empire.' "'And you just turned up and told them all this, did you?' Ace asked, grinning. "'Of course not,' the Doctor sighed. "'I landed the TARDIS in an empty manor house back towards the coast, "'pretended I owned it, and offered the British scouts somewhere to rest.' A man named Captain Gleag believed my story and explained it to Ross and Coburn. And that's Ross over there, is it? Ace asked, pointing. The doctor nodded. Major General Robert Ross, commander of the army forces here, veteran of the Peninsular War, lovely man and very fond of his horse. At this, Ace felt suitably guilty. I'm sure whoever shot it was trying to just fire a warning shot and didn't mean to kill it, she said wilting under the doctor's stern gaze. Before the doctor could respond, Ross had joined them. ''Are you ready, doctor?'' Ross asked, the faintest hint of an Irish accent in his voice. ''The capital awaits us.'' About half an hour later, as Ace entered the capital for the second time in as many months, she found herself in a very different building to the one she'd left thousands of years later. Even without the scars of war, this was clearly a different structure to the one which stood in the days of the war, and indeed in Ace's time. There was no great white dome, just a pair of sandstone houses connected by a wooden passage where the dome would one day stand. Ace stared around, marvelling at the incredible opulence of the House of Representatives as she stepped into it. Huge, majestic columns rose up around the room, and at the far side of the chamber sat a chair beneath the carving of a colossal eagle, its wings spread ready to fly, perched above the figure of Lady Liberty. It would have been a most intimidating sight were it not for the figure of George Coburn lounging in the chair beneath it like a bored schoolboy. The Admiral looked up as Ace entered, closely followed by Ross and the Doctor. For a moment, Ace thought he was looking at her, but then she realised he was looking at Ross. Almost imperceptibly, Ross nodded, and Coburn's mouth spread into a grin as he leapt to his feet, standing atop the chair and shouting to the assembled British soldiers and sailors across the chamber, Shall this harbour of Yankee democracy be burned? He roared, to the jubilation of the men, "'All for it will say aye!' The near-deafening sound of every man in the room shouting, "'Aye!' echoed back. Only Ace, Ross and the Doctor remained quiet. "'All opposed shall say nay!' cried Coburn, this time to be greeted with silence. Ace felt the doctor's hand on her shoulder and turned to see him beckoning her away as Coburn laughed and cried, Then let it burn! As she followed the doctor out of the chamber, she could hear the laughter and shouting of the men who were about to burn the building to the ground. Ace was a little disappointed to learn that the Library of Congress was just a grand name for a small room full of books towards the back of the Capitol building. They began to pile all the books in the centre of the room. Anything that was available for open viewing could contain cerebra, the doctor was saying, but he stopped as Ross entered the library. Ace preferred Ross to Coburn, largely because Ross seemed far less enthusiastic when it came to burning things. Ross had the same air of authority that Coburn did, but where the Admiral used his authority as a weapon, Ross barely acknowledged his own. In the brief time Ace had spent with the two men, Coburn had acted like a commanding officer to his men, albeit a much-loved and respected one, while Ross had acted as an equal, asking his officers for advice, speaking to every man with respect, from the highest to the low. Ace's preference for him over Coburn was nothing to do with the fact that he was also incredibly handsome, she was sure. Or the same, it didn't hurt. Coburn is beginning to realise that firing rockets at an iron roof won't set the building on fire, said Ross, and the resignation in his voice suggested that he'd realised this as soon as Coburn's men had first started to try it. Saw his having the men pile up all the furniture and paper they can find, ready to set light to it. As he said this... "'Ross was examining the heap of books the Doctor and Ace had built. "'Should I assume that it is of vital importance to the safety of the Empire "'that this pile of books is set alight as well?' he asked. "'If it wouldn't be any trouble,' the Doctor replied, "'smiling brightly in a way that belied the seriousness Ace had heard in his voice "'before Ross walked in. "'Ross looked around the library, but the books still stood on the shelves. "'George should be happy enough with this,' he said thoughtfully. Books will burn far better than iron. The Capitol building was burning. Inside, the books were screaming. That's what the soldiers who'd started the fire had told Ace anyway. Ace was sharing a drink with a couple of Ross and Coburn's advisers in the house of a man called Yule, which the British commanders had taken over as their command post. What surprised Ace was that Ewell and his family had stayed on and were acting as admirable hosts to the men who had come to burn their city. She knew that Ross had pledged not to damage private property, but the fact that the majority of the people of Washington were happy to accept his word on the matter, and indeed happy to accept Coburn's word, was something she hadn't expected. The group of men Ace was drinking with had been a little confused by her attire at first, but had quickly accepted her, and she relaxed into the drinking and banter of the men until the doctor arrived. He patted Ace on the shoulder, smiled at her and the men, and said, Gentlemen, your commanders have asked me to invite you to join them for dinner. At the White House. Dinner at the White House had been set out for the President, who had promptly run away and left it all on the table. Ace had to admit... It was delicious. Coburn had found some poor American on his way and had invited him to dinner, taunting him throughout for the cowardice of his commander-in-chief. But even that was bearable in the face of the best food Ace had eaten in a month. What was far less easy to stomach was the moment when the meal was over, when Ross had ordered his officers to bring the men in, pile everything up and burn the building. The doctor had drawn her aside and the two of them had gone in search of books and papers. The Doctor piled the books up in Ace's arms and sent her back to the dining room while he continued searching. Ace had added the books to the heaps there and was making her way back to rejoin the Doctor when she passed the President's dressing room. Coburn was inside, accompanied by his American guest. "'Feel free to take a souvenir,' Coburn was saying, and Ace watched as the American reached across the dressing table and picked up a small leather-bound book. Ace had no way of knowing who would read the book. Cerebra could be inside, and this man was about to carry it clear from the fire. Who knew where it could end up? But before Ace could act, Coburn saw her. The Admiral plucked the book out of the Americans' hands and said, "'No, no, that I must give to the flames,' and he smiled at Ace before throwing the book over to her. Ace caught it and hurried off to find the Doctor,' Did that mean that Coburn knew about their mission? About Cerebra? The Doctor and Ace found Coburn outside the White House as it blazed behind them. He was walking with Ross, and seeing no way to get the Admiral alone, the Doctor was having to talk to them both. Really, Doctor, we are not such fools as you might think us. Coburn smirked as he spoke. "'We could see that the burning of the books was more important to you than the capture of the city.' "'All that we ask is that you tell us why,' said Ross. "'The Doctor couldn't answer. "'He told them that it was vital for the safety of the Empire, "'but Ross just asked him if he'd actually been sent by the King. "'The King knows no more of my purpose than you do,' the Doctor had to admit, "'though he does know me. "'He would tell you to trust me, so do, please!' Ross turned to Coburn, who shrugged. "'Dashed if I know what to do, Robert,' he said, "'and you've got command anyway.' "'Always a pleasant surprise when you remember that, George,' said Ross, before turning back to the Doctor. "'Where else still needs to be burned, Doctor?' "'The National Intelligencer,' said Ace. "'It's a newspaper—' "'I know where it is!' Coburn cut her off, laughing. I was going to burn it down anyway for what they've written about me. All of America thinks I'm some kind of monster thanks to that damned paper. Should be jolly to see it go up in flames. Just the newspaper? asked Ross. The doctor looked at Ace, who nodded. Just the paper, she said. Ross turned to Coburn again. George, would you be so kind as to burn it down? he asked. Coburn grinned. It would be my pleasure. Coburn didn't burn the newspaper building. The Doctor and Ace were back at Ross's command house, enjoying a pot of tea brewed up for them by Mrs Yule, when Coburn's aide came to tell them that the Admiral wanted to see them. They arrived to find Coburn surrounded by local women. Can't burn the damned building down! He told them, clearly exasperated. Ross has given our word not to harm private property and it's too close to these ladies' homes. As the ladies in question turned to face her and the Doctor, Ace saw pure unbridled hatred in their withered faces. Their eyes, though, were milk-white and empty. Hello, Cerebra, said the Doctor grimly. One last effort to survive. Admiral Coburn is a man of honour, said one of the women. He has given his word not to burn the newspaper, said another. Ace, said the doctor. She reached into her pocket and pulled out the small black box. The second she switched it on, the women screamed (coughs) and collapsed. Coburn stared then turned to the Doctor. I think you had better explain, he said, all trace of joviality in his voice replaced with steel. Now! And so the Doctor explained. He told Coburn how he and Ace had fought a war against a demon that stole the minds of men, a demon named Cerebra. How they had pursued it to Washington, and how it had hidden itself in books, in notes, and in the printing press, gathering its strength until it could start all over again. How they had to ensure that it was destroyed forever. Every last word that Cerebra occupied has been burned, said the doctor. With the books destroyed and Cerebra gone, those who read them won't be carriers anymore either in that printing press, ever prints its name, Cerebra will be reborn, and it will spread and grow and threaten the entire world, he continued, almost pleading now. You have to destroy it! Coburn stared silently at the doctor for a moment. Then he turned to his men. Tear the building down, brick by brick, he told them burn all the papers, smash the press, and bring me every letter C from the typeface to be melted. He smirked. That'll stop them from slandering me again. The doctor nodded gratefully, and Ace breathed a sigh of relief as the men set to work carrying out Coburn's orders. Ace watched the metal slowly liquefying, the letters becoming nothing more than an iron soup. So Cerebra's gone, she asked the doctor. He nodded. Cerebra's gone, and it's about time we were too. Come on! And they turned around and made their way to the edge of the city, the world beyond, and the TARDIS. Coburn watched them leave. Then he reached into his pocket and pulled out a cold lump of iron, a capital C looking back at him. The power to steal men's minds, he whispered to himself. That was a power worth having. And he slipped it back into his pocket. <coughs>